Good morning, church. Such an honor to be here. And uh, I love, love Pastor Adam. Can we just start by honoring the leaders of this house? Come on, do you love Pastors Adam and Jamie? They're amazing. And uh, helping uh, Jamie uh, Goldenberg, who used to be a member of Church on the Hill and planted in Knoxville and doing a great job out there, uh, is launching into a new building, which is exciting. Tons of fruit for our house over there. Uh, but I'm so honored to be here. It's actually just nice to be in town. Um, no, you guys are like, that guy goes to church here? I'm like, yeah, I've, I've actually gone here like eight years. Uh, you just never see me. I'm greeted by people I don't know or recognize in my own church. That feels great. Um, but my job, and Pastor Adams told me this, my job is not to be here. My job is to be in the church, around the world, encouraging, pumping fresh life, and taking what happens at Church on the Hill and taking that overseas and taking that across the United States and into boardrooms and palaces and government officials and all that. It's amazing to see all that God has done. And so I want to say thank you for your prayerful support. When you pray for Church on the Hill, I feel like you're praying for my wife and I because we are part and extension of this ministry here as we go around the world. And I just want to say thank you. So can we thank God together for all that he's doing from Sri Lanka to our biggest event in Sri Lanka to Uganda to all across the United States. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And of course, I am not alone when I'm home. I've got my wife with me. And she's right here in the front row. Erica, would you wave hi to everybody? This is my wife, Erica. She's amazing. She's a better Christian than I am, I'll tell you that. Uh, but she is phenomenal, great mother, uh, wonderful wife, just a, a, a wonderful person. And of course, you probably know her better than me. I, I now come to Cedar Hill, and I get, I get told that I am Erica's husband me, because Erica, and this is not just in church, this is at Target. I, I walked into Smoothie King, and I was going to get my almond banana with cocoa powder and vitamin B12 smoothie made out of coconut milk. And I come in, and the two ladies behind the counter run out from behind the counter to the car because they see my wife in the front seat, and they want to talk to her and not make my drink. I'm Erica's husband, so we'll just call me that from now on, okay? You just put guest speaker, Erica's husband. That ought to give me more credit, right? But, no, I'm really excited, and I think we have a great team here. Do you not? Come on. Do you love every, every leader from Lance and Erica, Jonathan and Myrna, all the small group leaders? You guys are phenomenal. Thank you for what you're doing and loving our people and our city so much. You guys are incredible. Um, but uh, I, I want to get into this word because we're going to continue our series on love. So I want you to turn on your Bible. And go to Luke chapter 10. Yes, I know what generation I'm talking to. Okay, turn it on. Uh, and go to Luke chapter 10. All right, Luke the 10th chapter. And uh, uh, I, I feel like I have to behave because I have Mrs. Susan Bozarth in the building. And she's right there in the, in the row. And, and I got my mother-in-love and my father-in-love. And the family's back there. So uh, they come to church here too. You didn't know that. But um, more than I do. But I, I'll tell you what, I, I just really sense this, this series has been such a blessing. Have you guys enjoyed it? Come on, have you enjoyed it? And so, now listen, let me just tell you, I'm Hispanic, and we don't do anything like on four. We're 100 all the time, okay? That's the caramel part of me. Come on, caramel people. Where are all the brown people at? It's true. Chocolate folk, we ain't going to leave you out. Where are my chocolate folk at? Come on, make some. Where the whipped cream at? Come on, whipped cream. See, we all one big Sunday. Everybody got a sweet tooth in here, right? So, uh, but I need you talking back to me. Can you do that this morning? No, can you do that this morning? All right, are you ready for the word? All right, in Luke chapter 10, I'm going to take several detours, but uh, because I want to point and draw your attention to the text in certain areas uh, so that you can pull more from it. 
So let me give you some background. Here's Jesus, and he's approached by an attorney. Now, an attorney does what an attorney does and do, does, and an attorney will look for loopholes and things that he can poke holes in Jesus' message. So he starts looking at Jesus' message, and he starts trying to ask questions. Now, this is not just any attorney. This isn't a Roman attorney. This is a Jewish attorney, which means he, he dealt in the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. And so he was used to, he was very informed about theology and Jewish culture. So when Jesus comes preaching his message, he immediately, based on traditions and rules and regulations, has a problem with what Jesus is saying. So this attorney, trusting in his training, begins to start in on Jesus. And this is what we read in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. He says, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Verse 27, So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and... Love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to catch that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now keep reading. Yourself, right? Yeah. Verse 28. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, here's here's an attorney being an attorney. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now we got a problem. Now we're, now we're stepping on cultural toes. Now it's no longer easy black and white. Who is my neighbor? So true to his jurisprudence training, his lawyer training, he is immediately trying to find the loopholes, loopholes or the escape clause in Jesus' message. And what he's really asking is, how do I determine who my neighbor is? Is it because they live close to me? Is it by my ethnicity? Is it by my background? Is it by my family name? Is it by people I work with? Is it by my kind? Who is my neighbor? Are you seeing this? Look at this in verse 30. Again, or, yeah, verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man. Can I just stop right here? Jesus is so cool. He's a G. He's a straight up G. I, I like this because Jesus has, Jesus doesn't even answer this man's question. But he does. He's smooth, right? This guy's like, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus is like, and a certain man. He just starts into a story. But he's answering, but he hides the meaning of this answer with those who have spiritual hearing. Are you following me? So he starts in on this parable. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now this right here, let me just stop right here. This right here is a fact that this man is from Jerusalem should lead us to assume that this man is Jewish. Are you hearing me? Somebody say yes. All right. Then it says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Everybody say half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Look at what happens next. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrives at the same place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Can I speak to your other side for just a second? Because I think there's a lot of people who need to understand there is an other side to your pain. There's an other side to your frustration. There's an other side to your past hurt. But it's amazing to me how many people have chosen to pass by on the other side of your issues. 
Let, let me say it like this. If you can find 15 people to get high with, but you can't find one person to pray you through, you got too many people passing on the wrong side of your life. If you can find 20 people to go to the club with, but you can't find one person to go to church with, friend, you have let too many people pass by on the other side of your issues and your problems. You need to let the right people be on the right side of your life, right? Now watch this. Keep reading with me. Keep reading with me. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This is obscenely gross to a Jewish person. Because they didn't even consider Samaritans to even be, they considered them to be half-breeds, or even in some Jewish scholars will say they were half-human. And so there was this prejudice, instant racism that was against these Samaritans. And Jesus uses the racist focal point of the day and says, you know who the good one was? <laughs> he's a G, I'm telling you, he's a G. It's amazing. Do you realize this is such an insult to this attorney and everyone that's hearing that they even used in John chapter eight, they tried they, to insult Jesus. They called him a Samaritan. What was so taboo in John was it John? Um, gosh, help me out, Jesus. In John, let me go to my notes. John four, when Jesus comes to the woman at the well, who was what a Samaritan woman. Are you following me? So when he says this is a good Samaritan, that's scandalous now. The good Samaritan, as he journeyed, came and when he saw him, had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. Everybody say that with me. Take care And whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was... A neighbor to him who fell among thieves. And the lawyer answered, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus replied, go and do likewise. Let's pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, I bring our pastors in front of you right now as they're in Knoxville, Tennessee, releasing a word and releasing a church into its destiny. We ask your grace, your power, your truth, and anointing to be on pastors Adam and Jamie today. And Lord, we thank you that they have not left, so the Holy Spirit has not left, God, because I thank you that today you are working in this room, in these marriages, in these families, in these jobs, in these roles, in our community, and I speak to this atmosphere, And I say you are full of faith, you are full of hope, you are full of peace, you are full of love, and I come against every lie, every restriction, every barrier. I break every demonic harassment, every thought that is not from heaven to come down in Jesus' name. And I call your church into their destiny. I call them into their rhythm. I call them into their season that we wouldn't just win people by creative services and elements and outreaches, but by the very love of Almighty God, we would shake heaven and touch earth in a special way. Let us love our neighbor today in Jesus' name. And everyone shout it. Amen. 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 As you guessed, we're calling this message love series, love your neighbor. I I remember when I had an interesting encounter with, quote unquote, a neighbor. I I really believe that there's going to be a lot of things in heaven. Uh, Two, I am almost convinced that are going to be there. One of them is Mexican food and the other one is cheesecake. Can I get a good amen from a healthy church? I, I really, I've prayed about this so much. I feel like I've put in the paperwork, had all the signatures. If it's not there, I'm going to be ticked. All right. And so I, I, I remember it was after when we were meeting at the Methodist building at this, in this church on a Sunday night. 
I went to go have good food. And I was there with, a, it was there with uh, one of our best uh, relationships, our best friend, Jared and Sarah Bryant, who were members of this church, now pastoring a great church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I remember we go there, and, and any parents in the room? Where are my parents at? Parents, raise your hands. Come on, listen, just clap for them. They're parents. That, uh, that's enough right there. Come on, any non-parents? You're not parents yet or, or not, don't have any kids? Come on, keep your hand up. These are single folk right here, most likely. And no, keep your hands up. I'm trying to get you married in Jesus' name. <laughs> we got to grow to church somehow, you know what I'm saying? So, so I, I, I remember, you know, as a parent, I've learned this, that my kids, I have four kids. My wife and I have been married 14 years. We have four kids. We started a church on a family, so that's what we do. I mean, I'm Hispanic, so that kind of explains it. But I, 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 have, I have four kids, and when we go out to eat, my kids always have the same pattern. You know, we get there, we sit down, we go through the drink order. Then they bring us some chips, and then we eat the chips and salsa, and then they take our food order, and then we sit there and conversate and enjoy fellowship with this family that we love so much and each other, and it's not until, come on parents, till the hot food hits the table that your, parents, that your kids are like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Any parents? Am I right? I'm the only honest one? No, I'm not, right? I got to go to the bathroom, right? Sometimes you're just so hungry, like go in the seat. I'm so hungry. But I'm a good dad, so I want to score some points. My wife says, babe, don't worry about this. I got this, right? So I take my kids. I take them to the restroom. We're coming out, and I'm passing the women's restroom. And as I'm passing the women's restroom, I hear, oh, please stop. It hurts. So I'm like, so I send my kids back, and I do what any man of God should do in this situation. I put my ear to the door to see what was going on in his bathroom because I'm nosy. So I, and I, because I, I, I'm thinking one or two things. If someone's yelling stop in the bathroom, I'm thinking, number one, I don't want what they just ordered. That's common sense. You're in a Mexican restaurant. Or number two, something's going wrong. So sure enough, I hear, no, please stop. It hurts. And then I feel a, or I hear a slap come across this kid's face. It's a child. And then I hear, please stop. No, please stop. And then I hear this kid getting punched and beat. And then this kid gets thrown against the wall. To where the picture on the other side of the wall comes off the hanger and falls on the floor and crashes in glass all over my feet. Everybody who's on this side of the restaurant sees me looking at this door. And I'm so justice driven, you can ask my wife. I respond quick. And I hit the door three times. Bam, bam, bam. And I said, hey, what's going on in here? Now, don't think I'm that bad. All right. Have you ever had your, have you ever been doing something? With your body, but your mind is telling you something else. Like your life slows way down. And you're in the middle of doing something. Let me just tell you how this went. I'm hitting this door and I'm doing this. But my mind is saying, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Oh, you bad now. Oh, you in now. We all the way. We're going to go all the way. Now I'm hitting this door. So I'm big. Hey, what's going on in here? So I have no idea what's on the other side of this door. Okay. So I hear, uh-oh. I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm from El Paso. You don't know, uh-oh, yeah. You don't know, uh-oh, yeah. Right? And sure enough, they get the door handle, and they, they are so nervous. They jiggle the, they like, jiggle the door handle. And I, I don't know what's on the other side of the door. The door swings open, y'all. The largest African-American woman I have ever seen in my life answers this door. It looked like Medea answered the door. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, hey, what's going on in here? Short little Mexican, I'm like a little nacho to her. I said, hey, what's going on here? She's like, none of your business. 
And I said, well, them bruises on your kid making my business. And she said, he was, he was crying when he got in here. I said, was he bleeding when he got in here too? I said, ma'am, if you lay another finger on this kid, it's going to be you and me in front of this restaurant. And then, again, Pastor John, I don't know why I said this next. I don't know. But I said, this is what I said. I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor. <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> I don't know why I said this. I said it. I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor. And I know what it's like to want to kill your kids. <laughs> Any parents? Come on, honest parents. Come on, some honest people in church. Now, you, some of you know why lions eat their young. Let's be honest, all right? Don't, ju- don't judge me. Okay, don't judge me. So I'm sitting there, and, and I said, ma'am, you lay another finger on this kid, and I'm going to take you and drag you in front of this restaurant. And she, I mean, she sobered out of her anger. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I said, ma'am, I'm at this table over here. If you need me, please come get me. But what you're doing, you have no self-control. Therefore, this is child abuse. This is not discipline. And you're sending the wrong message to this child. I said, please come get me. She's like, okay. She closes the door real slow. Now, when I get mad, I get real quiet. Anybody else? Like when I am like mad, ready to hit the nuclear button. Mad? Anybody? I get real quiet. Where are my quiet ones at? Raise your hand. Pay attention to who's raising their hand right now because they know three places to bury your body in Texas. I'm telling you. It's the quiet ones you got to watch out for, okay? So I, I, I get real quiet. Well, Jared, if you know Jared is so persistent, he's like, what's the matter? I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. No, no, no. Come on, come on. Tell me what's the matter. I don't want to talk about it. He's an antagonist. Uh, tell me, what's the matter? I said, I don't want to talk about it. Can I have some chips? Y'all be eating all the chips? He said, dude, tell me. So I tell him, and he's like, oh, oh, no, no, no way. No, she did, she did what? He's getting all worked up. If you know Jared, it's true. And so I said, don't worry about it. Take care of it. Well, she comes out. Where does she sit? Right behind me. She's literally in the table right behind me. I'm like, this is my life. This is totally my life. So she finishes. I, I tell the waiter as, as they're eating, I said, listen, bring me their bill. I want to pay for their meal. Because I remember how stressful it was for a single mom to raise not just one kid, but two kids, let alone have to pay for this meal. I remember what it's like for my mom to feed us eggs for two weeks because that's all we had left on our WIC card. I know what it's like to have that pressure turn into stress, which turns into bursts of rage and anger. And I see something different that I had never seen in, in, in this precious woman and her son. So they finish eating. I pay for their meal. They finish eating, and they come, and she comes right up to me. I don't know if she's there because of my back's ordered, but I feel like. You know what I'm saying? So I turn around. I'm like, oh, hi. And she said, she puts her somewhere and said, what's she going to say? And this kid's got like a booger hanging on his face. He's like, thank, thank you for my chicken scripts. Thank you. What he was really saying is thank you for saving my life. I owe you. Thank you for saving my life. You know, I, I wonder how many people, and I can tell you there were plenty of people that heard the same thing, but they went on the other side and passed by. And I think what's happening in our culture is we're so worried about being politically correct that what we are doing with people who don't look like us, who don't vote like us, who don't think like us, who aren't from the same zip code as us, we just pass them by. So that way the church doesn't get confused about where I stand. And so therefore, so I can protect my Christian witness, I'll pass by the actual people that need Jesus just so my church folk friends don't get offended that I'm hanging out with the broken and the sick and the disgusted and the indebted and the hurt. When when did we forget that God doesn't care? When when are we going to remember that God has given us permission to care? 
This is what it means to love your neighbor. God gave you the holy right to be a priesthood and a royal nation that can spring up in any country and transform that nation simply by our love, not our messages, not our podcasts, not our resources, not our schools, not our teaching, not our services, not all the lights and the smoke. It's that we care. You have permission to care. And if you're going to understand what this feels like to love your neighbor, let me give you number one. Number one, you need to understand, love has no loopholes. I'm sorry, but love doesn't have a single loophole. There's no disqualifying or qualifying for the love of God. It's love. I, I, I remember when I, I love movies. I really do. I just, went, I just went and saw Black Panther. Y'all, this movie will preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach. I, I was so proud of Black Panther. I felt like I was proud to be African American, and then I realized I wasn't. I was like, well, this is great. What? This is, oh, yeah. Can I get a necklace, though? Can I get a necklace? And, and I, I, love has a look. I remember I went to a movie premiere. Not this one. It was a few years ago. I was looking forward to this movie. When I look forward to a movie, I don't go, like, the opening day. I go midnight. Anybody else? Love that midnight show. It's where all the crazies go. It tends to be extra special. So I go, and I notice right before the movie starts, I'm sitting down. I'm ready. And this family comes in. And this family smells like they haven't bathed in months, let alone dressed like it. And I, I thought, Lord, why? Like, I've been looking forward to this, and then you're going to bring the stinkiest people on the planet. I've been to other nations, and it didn't smell. It, it did not smell this bad. And, 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 I, and I'm smelling, and I start to get a headache, and I am now, because I'm the guy that teaches discipleship. I'm the guy that teaches conflict and how to confront and mistake management. We've written curriculums that are selling all over the world. Limitless influence. We got all this stuff out there. And in my mind, I'm thinking, come on! Anybody else? And I, I, I remember, I'm thinking through, I'm like, you know what? This isn't my problem. I'm going to submit to the authority of this house, and I'm going to go to the theater owners and ask them to have these people removed. Until their hygiene can be presentable enough to be in this movie. And then the Holy Spirit interrupts my thoughts. Almost immediately interrupts my thoughts. He says, son, do they look like the type of people that can afford this movie? How do you know someone didn't pay their way to come to this movie because they said they loved the movie? How do you know they're not going through a hard How do you know they're not going through a hard time? When maybe one of their kids is in the hospital and to get their mind for two hours off of their subject matter that they have constantly had for months, someone sent them to a movie. Do they look like they can afford a movie? Do they even smell like they can afford a movie? This is what he told me. He said, you have forgotten what it's like to not even afford a movie. Your love has loopholes now. Yeah, I think many times we forget what, what it looks like. You know, to this lawyer, it's interesting because to this lawyer, he has reduced his love to likability. We do the same today. I don't like so-and-so, so I'll love them, but I'm going to love them from a distance. I, show me that verse. Could you show me that verse? I'll be waiting. I can tell you it's not in there. It really is quiet in the spiritual church. Y'all look at me weird. <laughs> look at what he says. Look at the options that Jesus gives in this story. The first one, the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? So God, uh, God Jesus, responds, a certain man was, uh, you know, got beaten, left half dead, and a priest came by. This priest is actually uh, symbolic of the law. The law came by. This is what Jewish people trusted in. The law would be able to save us. Let me tell you something. The law hasn't saved a soul since it was written. 
It hasn't changed the life since it was written. The law, the law actually is really raw enough to tell us that we are only not good enough unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm all for standing up for the Ten Commandments to be in public places and schools, but can I be honest? It's commendable. It really is, and we should stand our ground. But can I tell you, it still hasn't changed any life. The law hasn't. And what the Jewish people thought is if I have the law, then I won't have to be beaten. I won't have to be, if I'm perfect, I won't have to be accused. Nope, that's not true. Jesus says a priest comes by, and this lawyer knows exactly what he's saying. The law came by. But then it says a Levite comes by, which is interesting because you would think they're one and the same, but a Levite should have looked like a fellow Jew. This should have looked like a neighbor, quote-unquote, a neighbor. But he comes by, and what happened? He does the same thing, goes the other way. But the good Samaritan, isn't it interesting? The one who you did not plan on comes by and helps you out. Have you ever been shocked by who wasn't there when you needed, when you were in trouble? Have you ever been surprised by who was there when you needed it? it? It's amazing to me how many people, listen, that's what love does. Love doesn't look for loopholes. Love finds a way. Love will disregard its pride and begin to humble itself. Can I tell you, love will make you apologize even when you think you're right. Love will make you buy someone food even after they just cussed you out. Love will actually help you serve somebody even though they never earned it or deserved it. This is what love does. Love has no loopholes. Love doesn't look for clauses. Love doesn't look for a reason. Love just finds a way. Are you following me? It wasn't the Levites. It wasn't the priests. It wasn't the law. It wasn't my fellow. It was the ones we despised stopped and helped me. Are you seeing this? I like, I like this. Look, let me give you the second one here. Love has no loopholes. And number two, love looks like the inn and the innkeeper. And you know, in this story, we actually, you and I, play two different characters. We play two different roles in this story. See, we have always thought that we were the good Samaritan. That's not true. In fact, what this lawyer doesn't realize is what we are realizing right now is that I am not the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. What happens is I am the man that was left half dead. Jesus came by, bandaged my wounds, poured oil, the Holy Spirit, wine, the blood of Jesus, in my wounds and took me to the inn. And now the inn is me and the innkeeper is me after I met Jesus. I play two roles. I play the man half dead and I play the church and church folk. Are you seeing this? Now, let me show you something here. Look, look at this. Before we even get to where Jesus is taking this lawyer in this parable, we have to look where Jesus is taking this half-dead man. He says, and he takes him to an inn, a hotel, a motel, a hall, an inn. Taking some of you back. He takes him to an inn. Have you ever wondered, why didn't he take him home? Why, why didn't he just, he knew the way. Why didn't he take him home? The truth is, home was too far. The inn was closer. See, this road, when it says from Jerusalem to Jericho, this was a long journey. This was actually a modern-day highway for them. And what would happen, because this was a long journey, the, these thieves had timed out the distance of when nightfall would come, and they would camp there to ambush people as night fell. Then they would attack those traveling and strip them of their clothes and rob them and leave them half dead. Are you following me? So investors of their day got together and said, well, night falls normally around this area, so let's put an inn there. 
Because now there's a place for people to come when they are hurt or place for them to be safe and cared for. I hope you're hearing me. Jesus plants his church where darkness begins to fall. But he's put good ends or churches there filled with good people like you and I to care for the people that are coming in that have been stripped of their dignity, that have been wounded by their past, are still bleeding, found half dead, but we can take care of them. Or you say, love your neighbor. This is so unfamiliar to this attorney. The church is the end. And notice, notice the instructions he gives to the innkeeper. There's really only one line. All he says is, take care of them. That's all he says. He says, take care of them. Here's two denarii. And whatever costs you, watch me, whatever more it costs you when I return, I'll repay you. Does this not sound like Jesus? Here, church, here's broken people. Here's an addict. Here's a prostitute. Here's a pervert. Isn't it, aren't you glad God doesn't see your dysfunction, but he sees your destiny? That's why he can see the apostle inside of the addict. That's why he can see the prophet inside of the pervert or the prostitute. Are you seeing this? It's interesting. Here's Jesus. He says, here, take two denarii. And then when I come back around, if he costs you more, I'll repay you. Jesus is coming back, and there will be a reward assembly for the church. Are you, are you seeing this here? I just want to make sure you're getting this. But notice what he says. He says, take care of them. Did you notice what is not said? Contrary to pop culture today and modern politics and maybe even church strategy today, did you notice what is not said? What is not said, this in, when, when, the, when the Good Samaritan says, or Jesus says, take care of him, this innkeeper doesn't go, well, who do he vote for? Just take care of him. What's his ethnicity? Take care of him. What, what zip code is he from? Take care of him. What's his story? Take care of him. What's his police record? Take care of him. What's his financial status? Take care of him. What's his marriage look like? Take care of him. What do his kids do? Take care of him. Did you notice that? He didn't ask, what's this, what's that? I think what's happening today is we have excused ourselves from care. Who are you excusing yourself from caring for today? Because I can tell you, love has no loopholes. You can have a list full of reasons why you should not love somebody, but there's still just one on the other side. Some, listen, not all truths are created equal. Hear me again. Not all truths are created equal. I, I know people who believe in a truth. Well, they hurt me. That is true. But do you remember what you did to Jesus? And he said, if you do not forgive them like I forgave you, you will not inherit eternal life. Some truths are not created equal. Half of your life, half of your life, crud. I'm going to have to pray about that. Listen, love looks like the inn and the innkeeper. God has given you permission to care. It says the good Samaritan, this is interesting, the good Samaritan has compassion on him. There's a difference between sympathy for my neighbor and compassion for my neighbor. Sympathy, this is what sympathy, you want a definition. Sympathy means I feel sorry for you. But it stops there. I just feel bad for you. That's easy. That's like American. I'll just let you receive that and let it marinate for just a second. I feel bad for you. That sucks. I am stepping all over the racism in this room on purpose. One, I'm Hispanic. I can do it. And two... Because I'm sick and tired of being everything being reduced to what color skin people have. 
I don't care if you're chocolate, caramel, whipped cream, something in between. All I care is I want to take care of you. I don't care what your degree says. I don't care whether you're agnostic, whether you're, you, you, you have same-sex marriages going on. You're, I just want to take care of you. Can I take care of you? It's, this is interesting. The compassion part to me always grips me because before ever Jesus did a miracle, it says he was filled with compassion and then did a miracle. Whenever he multiplied food, it said he was filled with compassion and then he multiplied food. When he was raised, for, when he raised Lazarus from that, it was said he was filled with compassion and he raised Lazarus. Everything runs through this thing called compassion. This is, this is what compassion, I learned compassion one time. I remember I was, I, we had a woman in our church, not here, but in the church that Eric and I were youth pastors at. And uh, her name was Ruth. And Ruth came in and she was an elderly woman. She came up to us and said, I need money for my rent. And, I, and we have learned because we were very generous driven. We have learned to ask questions why people ask for money. Well, ma'am, why do you need, why do you need rent money? Do, do you have an income? Do you have a job? Well, I do. Uh, but I just need money. Well, why do you need money? And after about 15 minutes, to make a long story short, after about 15 minutes, what comes out is not I needed money. What comes out is I have a gambling addiction. She literally would take her check, jump on the bus to the, the casino, drive to the casino, lose all her money, and then have enough to get on the bus and come back home. I said, well, do you have family in the area that maybe if you did lose your place, you could stay with? And she said, well, I have spoiled all of my relationships, burned all my bridges. I said, well, do you mind if I call them and maybe I can help because I care. You're seeing this. I care. And so I call and they, I mean, the, I'm met with harsh resist. Don't give her anything. Don't, please don't. You're only going to make a bad situation worse if you keep doing this. I said, I really don't want to. I, I want to do is help her. And they, the family over the phone, I could feel like they were looking at the phone when I said, all I want to do is help her. And they're like, I felt like they were looking at it funny. And I said, oh, we just want to help her. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, we, we'd like to help her with her money. and We're not going to give her money, but we'd like to help her. They said, what are you talking about? And I told her some things we would do. Why? Because I don't care if Ruth has a gambling addiction. I care that she's free. I don't care if she's not from the same ethnicity as me because she wasn't. I care that she's free. I care. Love has no loopholes. Sorry. And love looks like the inn and the innkeeper. When he says, take care of them, I'm going to take care of them. Is it any wonder why people are highlighted to you out in public? Is it any wonder while you're praying, one of your coworkers drops in your heart? Is it any wonder why you see a stranger and you have this draw to them? Not an attraction, but a longing spiritual draw to them that all of a sudden you want to do something for them. Because you care. Love looks like the inn and the innkeeper. Let me give you this last thing here. If we're going to love our neighbor... Number three, love yourself. You realize love is the antidote for anything. You know, the Bible says in, uh, is it song, I think it's Song of Solomon, it says, love is as strong as death. In other words, no one can stop death and no one can say no to death. So if love is as strong as that, no one can, no one can stop love and no one can say no to love. Without, no matter how hard you try. It's interesting in Romans 13, 10, it says this. It says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Can I tell you, it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was love. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't the chains that kept him tied down. It was love. It wasn't even the stone that moved on its own that caused him to get out of the grave. It was love that told that stone, get out of my way. Love has no loopholes now. 
Love your neighbor. This seems, this really, when I say love yourself, it's like, I thought we were talking about loving our neighbors. This seems like an oxymoron when I tell you, love yourself. Uh, but verse 29 says, if you look at it, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. I, I've noticed the problems I have with people are normally the issues I have with myself. What I don't like about somebody else is normally a reflection of what I don't like about myself. What I am so quick, quickly offended about from somebody else is what I'm quickly offended about. My, the motives that we accuse people, the wrong motives we accuse people of having, many times we carry ourselves. You have to learn to love yourself. Well, how are you going to learn to do that if we're going to love our neighbor? I think many times we have forgotten that loving your neighbor doesn't start with loving them. It starts with loving us. The only way I know how to love myself is to love myself like God loves me. I, I, got, I got great news for you. There is a measuring stick on how much he loves you. You can find it here in John chapter 17 and verse 23. This is Jesus' prayer in the garden. These words are actually in red in your Bible. Jesus is praying. He says, I in them and you in me that you may be perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me. Watch this. And have loved them as you, God the Father, have loved me. In another translation, it says that you love them as much as you love me. Do you realize God loves you as much as he loves Jesus? I'm going to let the religious people get mad for a little bit longer. God loves you as much as you love Jesus. There, there is... There is no performance needed. He loves you. I know you have great church attendance. Oh, your spiritual activity is so great. Wow, seven demons in one person. Woo! Or you clean house. I just want to know you to know that God loves you, not because of that. God loves you. Can I, I need to help somebody out this morning. I really feel this in my heart. God's not in love with a future version of you. He's not in love with someone who you'll become later. So therefore, i got to come perfect. No, no, no. The, the truth is, is we are waiting for people to be perfect so we can love them. No, I'm waiting for perfect love just to come into my life, and then I can love people. God's not in love with a future version of you. Here, here, God has not changed his mind about you. He's so good. When he says, I love you, he really means it. He's not like, I love you, but if only you have to, you can't, you should, you shouldn't. I love you. You know what's interesting to me is God loved us, watch this, loved us, gave up his own life, sacrificed himself, then went to the grave, rose again, and did all of that to start a new covenant, watch this, and with no guarantees that he would get you or me. He went and did all of that. No strings attached. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Would you stand up with me? I love that there's a gospel message in everything. Everything. That's what, collects, that's what the collection of our Bible is. The canon of Scripture is. The scope of all the Word of God is, is the gospel message. I, I love the gospel message in this story. It says that this man is found half dead. Which is so true of some of us possibly in this room this morning. That we are completely alive on the outside, but our spirit... Our inner is so dried and dead. We are half dead. 
But the Bible says that this good Samaritan comes. It says that he gets off his animal and comes down. Just like Jesus got off his throne and came down. And then he starts a work on the earth. And it says he bandaged his wounds, which means he made a way for man to get back to God. And then he pours oil and wine. Wine meaning his own blood he poured out. And then wine meaning the Holy Spirit can come. So that this once man who was half dead can now be taken to the church. Jesus literally, the good Samaritan, Jesus takes this man to the church. Come on, Jesus brings people to church. You should too. He brings this man to the end, the church, and then the church takes care of him. Maybe this is your first time in church in a long time. And it took everything you could just to get in here. And you were scared. You were nervous. Because you've been hurt by church folk. And I'm so sorry. As a pastor, I am so, so sorry. We miss it too. We're not perfect. But I can tell you, Jesus can love you better than your alcohol addiction. Jesus can love you better than the pain you've been using as a crutch your entire life. Jesus can love you better than your depression, than your guilt, than your shame, than your regret. Your regret, regret meaning when your past is too much to carry. He loves you better than that. He said, listen, if he, could, if he could love you better, he'd let it. But can no one love you like Jesus is going to love you? So he's picked you up today. Even though you were half dead, brought you here to give you this moment that you can finally say for the first time in your life, I don't mind. I don't mind people taking care of me. Can I tell you, this is a good church. This, can I say it like that? This is a good Samaritan church right here. This is an inn that has an innkeeper that cares for people. There are small group leaders who are innkeepers that care for people. Your youth pastors, your junior high youth pastors, I mean, it, it, these are people that care for people. You're in a good place. It's a great moment. Everybody bow their head and close their eyes. You're in this room. You say, Pastor Chris, you're speaking right to me. I can see myself needing bandaged. I need the love and blood of Jesus to be poured all over my sin so it can wipe all away from me. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to live a righteous life by faith, knowing that Jesus has carried me here. And I need transformation, and I cannot do that if you, if Jesus does not help me. I need this now. I'm tired of looking at the empty bottles in my life. And wondering why my alcohol doesn't make me feel good. I'm tired of looking at all the broken relationships, the bodies that lay behind me. And thinking, why didn't that one last? I'm tired of my marriage being in such a poor place. We're half dead in our marriage. But Jesus can care for you. He'll bring you to a place like this, Church on the Hill, for a moment like this in an inn. So that Jesus can change your life. If you're here, you say, Pastor Chris, this is my first time. I've never given my life to Jesus, but I'd like to. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Who am I talking to? Raise it high. Don't give me one. Raise it high so I can see it. Anybody? Anybody in this room? I want to make sure I don't miss anybody. I see your hand there. You can put it down. Yes, sir. I see it. Yes, sir. I thank God. I see those hands. I want you to take that hand, those hands and put it on your heart, everybody in this room. Church, I want to repeat. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, and especially for those of my friends in this room that have raised their hand. Can I just lovingly tell you that it's not this prayer, but it's the meaning behind it in your heart that actually causes transformation. You're not just here because I just want to be perfect or I want all the blood wiped off. No, you want a transformed life. Say, Jesus, 
I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for my sins. I believe that you died for me and you rose again and you're alive today. I say, take my life. It belongs to you. I hold nothing back. I thank you that you are going to bandage me. You're going to fill me with your Holy Spirit. The blood of Jesus now becomes my shield. And I am not just changed. I can now help change people. I thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.